We're going to continue this morning in our sermon series on the Psalms. We are talking about Psalms in the key of life. And we're looking at the way that the Psalms, many of the Psalms, apply to our lives on a daily basis and how we can live them out. Um, the first couple Psalms we looked at were Psalms about fear and worry. And we talked about how God is our, our protector, He is our shield, He is our refuge. Uh, and we do not have anything to fear or worry with God on our side. The last couple of weeks, we looked at a couple of psalms that had to do with worship and how we are to worship and praise the Lord. Today's psalm we're going to look at is the very first psalm. It's Psalm 1, and it is a psalm that, has, that deals with the godly and the wicked. It deals with the godly and the wicked. And today we're going to talk about the difference between the godly and the wicked, and we're also going to talk about how God deals with the godly and the wicked. So in some ways, it's a very positive, happy sermon. And it's a sermon that makes you say, yay, I'm glad I'm godly. And it's also a sermon that's very sad and, and tragic in that we know people who are wicked uh, and who need to hear about Jesus. And we're going to talk about that today. Um, so what we're going to talk about is what, we, what the godly and wicked do and the destiny of the godly and the wicked as well. So uh, pull out your Bible, turn to Psalm 1, the very first psalm, and grab your bulletin. As well, and turn to the handy-dandy outline on page 3. We'll fill in some blanks. You'll notice that the bulletin outline looks a little bit different today. There's eight blanks to fill in, so we got to get started. we got to get rolling. we got a lot of blanks to fill in. So the first thing we're going to talk about is um, what the godly do. What the godly do. But first, before we talk about what the godly do, we're going to talk about what they don't do. So the, what the godly don't do is they do not follow the wicked. The godly do not follow the wicked. That's the first blank on your outline. Look at Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. Now notice, the, the godly man, the righteous man, the one who is godly, the one who is righteous, does not do three things. Does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, does not stand with the sinners, and does not sit in the seat of mockers. Notice that with these three things, it is a gradual progression of becoming idle. Not I-D-O-L, but I-D-L-E. It is a gradual progression of becoming more idle. Uh, what the, uh, the godly person does not do is does not walk with the, in the counsel of the wicked. In other words, the godly man or the godly woman, the righteous man, the righteous woman, does not listen to the counsel of the wicked. Does not even walk with them. And the, the second thing that they don't do is they don't stand among the sinners. They do not stand with sinners. They don't hang around and stand with the sinners. So we go from walking to standing to sitting with the scoffers, with the mockers, those who mock God, those who scoff at God, who scoff at God's word. So they are become, it's, it's a gradual progression becoming more idle uh, walking and then uh, not walking toward Jesus, but walking according to the wicked, the counsel of the wicked, uh, standing with sinners, not hanging out with Jesus, sitting with the mockers, mocking, not glorifying Jesus. The godly person has to be careful who they hang out with. Who are you spending all your time with? The godly person has to think about these things, has to think about who they're hanging out with all the time. Are you hanging out with the wicked? Are you hanging out with sinners? Are you hanging out with mockers? 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be misled. 
Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. In other words, if you're hanging around with bad company, you may have good intentions, you may uh, have good character, but eventually it's going to wear you down. If all the people you're hanging out with are the wicked and the sinners and the mockers, you're eventually going to become more wicked, you're going to become more of a sinner, you're going to become more of a mocker, and you're going to scoff at Jesus Christ. We have to be careful who we hang out with because we will become more like those who we hang out with. And here's the test, okay? I believe that everyone we hang out with is helping us do one of two things. Everyone we hang out with is either helping us become more like Jesus or is causing us to become less like Jesus. Everyone you hang out with is either helping you become more like Jesus or causing you to become less like Jesus. It's that simple. We need to run our relationships through this filter of are they helping us become more like Jesus or am I becoming less like Christ? In James chapter 4, verse 4, we have to be careful who we're friends with because James 4, 4 says, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. We cannot be friends with both God and the world. You can't hang out with sinners and remain a steadfast saint. Now, does this mean that we should never hang out with sinners? Does it mean we should just kind of form a holy huddle, make a little church club, and everybody just comes here and we just hang out here all the time? No, that's not what that means. Because if we never have interaction with those outside of these walls, we'll never be able to tell them about Jesus. And that's what people need to hear. They need to hear about Jesus Christ. They need to know that Jesus died for their sins. They need to know that Jesus is alive. They need to know that, uh, that they can be forgiven. That if they'll put their faith and trust in Jesus, if they will believe in him and repent from sin, confess their faith and be baptized, they will be saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. That they can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. If we never hang out with sinners, we'll never be able to tell them. So there is a time, there is a place to engage our culture and to engage sinners in spiritual conversations and talk to them about who Jesus is so that they can have the hope that we have. They can have the peace in their lives that we have. They can have the comfort that comes from God's Holy Spirit. we got to hang out with sinners from time to time to tell them about Jesus. But that should be the purpose. Rather than than hanging out and and listening to the counsel of the wicked or standing among the sinners and engaging in sinful activity uh, or sitting among the scoffers and mocking Christians and mocking the church and mocking Jesus, we need to be uh, very, very careful about who we hang out with all the time. We need to be careful about our relationships. And this goes for friendships and it goes for romantic relationships as well because everyone is either helping you or hindering you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So we need to evaluate our relationships in light of our most important relationship, our relationship with Jesus. Now, what does the godly do? We've seen what the godly doesn't do. The godly doesn't uh, hang out with sinners and the wicked and uh, sinners, uh, scoffers and mockers. What the godly does do is the godly one delights in God's word. The godly delight in God's word. That's the second blank on your outline. Look at verses 2 and 3. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. He uses a beautiful word picture here of how a tree is planted by streams of water, by a stream of water. 
In other words, this tree has a never-ending supply of water, a never-ending supply of nourishment. And when we delight in God's Word, when we spend our time in God's Word, when we spend our time reading the Bible and studying it, memorizing it and learning it, when we spend time in God's Word, we have a never-ending supply of nourishment for our souls. That's what the Bible is. It's food for our souls. And when we spend time with God and His Word, we have a never-ending supply of nourishment, like a tree planted by streams of water has a never-ending supply of nourishment. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay, thank you. I'm just making sure we're all on the same page here. We're all still tracking. But see, that's the power of the, of the Word of God, that the Bible is God's Word. And we need to remember that the Bible is God's Word. We need to be influenced by God's Word. We need to be influenced by the truth of God's Word more than we are influenced by the culture around us, by the people around us. You know, there's a real battle in our world over truth. What is truth? What is true? Is there any such thing as absolute truth? How can we know anything for certain is true? I believe that the Bible is true. I believe that God's Word is truth. And that we can take it uh, for what it is, the Word of God. And we can believe it for what it is. Now, we may not always like what it says, but you know what? It doesn't matter. I was watching a sermon last night, and in this sermon, uh, one of the things he said was, uh, it was uh, at Saddleback, he said that he sees bumper stickers sometimes that say, um, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You know what? It doesn't matter what I believe. God said it, that settles it. Whether I believe it or not, whether I like it or not, if God said it in his word, that settles the matter. God said it, that settles it. It's not about if I believe it or not, which I happen to believe it. It doesn't matter if I like it or not, and I'll admit I don't like everything in the Bible. There's certain things that I'd love to do, that I enjoy doing, that I know I shouldn't be doing. Because, it's, uh, because God says not to do it. I need to work on my obedience. And if you're anything like me, you need to work on your obedience too. God said it, that settles it, it's in his word, it is the truth, we follow it, we listen to it, we read it, we study, we obey it, because we love God. That's what we're called to do. Um, when we look at the Bible and we think, man, I really just, I don't like what that says. I, I, I don't like what he's telling me to do, or I don't like what he's telling, I, I want to do what he's telling me not to do. You know why we do that? It's because we're rebellious. Ever from the time we're little, we're rebellious. You know, I why can't I run out in the street after my ball? Why why can't I have my cookie now? Because you're going to ruin your dinner. I don't care. I want the cookie. Right? We're rebellious. We want what we want, and we want it right now. It doesn't matter what our parents say. And when we get older, we rebel against God. We rebel against His Word. We say, I don't I don't care what you say, God. I want to do what I want to do. I don't care what you say, God. I'm going to do this anyway. That's rebellion. That's why we don't always like to hear what God says. But the Bible interferes in our lives. Well, too bad. It's God's Word. It is the truth of God's Word, and we have to follow what it says. I find that we are more influenced by the media as Christians than we should be. We are more influenced by the media than we are by God's Word. We are more influenced by our culture than we are by God's word. Let me tell you what. If God's word says it, that settles it. If God's word says it's wrong, 
It's wrong. If God says to do what uh, he tells us to do, then we do it. Whether or not the culture says, oh, no, that's okay. Or the culture says, are you really going to do that? What are you, some kind of Jesus freak? If the, if the media says, no, 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 this is fine and acceptable. If, if some celebrity comes out and says, hey, you guys, uh, this is what we need to do. And, and we listen more to celebrities and the media and our culture than we do to God's word. We need to spend time in God's word. It doesn't matter what the media says. It doesn't matter what some celebrity says. It doesn't matter what our culture says. What does God say? And if you want to know what God says, you need to read his word. If you want to please God, you need to obey his word. Look at first in, in first John chapter two, verses three through six. It says we can be sure we know him if we obey his commandments. How do you know if you know God? You obey his commandments. If someone claims I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. This is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. If you want to demonstrate your love for God, you need to obey his word, to read it, to study it, to meditate on it, to learn it, to memorize it. It is alive. The Bible is alive. It is a living document, and I can prove it. Because in Hebrews 4.12, it says the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God is alive. It is a living document. I was talking to somebody the other day about uh, how I, I, I view like the, the Constitution. It's kind of like the Bible. We talk about the Constitution being a living document. That though it was written many years ago, it still applies to our lives today. It still governs our, our lives today. The Bible is a living document. It was written 2,000 years ago and more. But at the same time, it is a living document in that it applies to our lives today. There are three places in the Bible where God breathes. Three of them. The first is in Genesis when he breathes life into the nostrils of Adam. He breathes life into Adam. The second place is when Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit onto his disciples. It says he breathed the Holy Spirit on them. He breathed new life into them through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the third place that God breathes is in 2 Timothy 3.16, where it says that all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. When God breathes, there is life. And God breathes word, life into his word. His word is alive. It is active. It is uh, effective. And it is uh, applicable to our lives today. It is relevant for our lives today. It is alive and it can change your life. All right. So we've talked about what the, the godly do. Well, what do the wicked do? The first thing that the wicked do is they sin against God. That's the first blank under what the wicked do. The wicked sin against God. Look at Psalm 1-1. What do the wicked do? Blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. The wicked sin against God. Now let me, let me be clear on this. We all sin. If there's anyone here who has never sinned, you're sinning now by lying. So you just nullified your own argument. We're all sinners. We've all sinned in one way or many ways or a myriad of ways, we're all sinners, and we all sin against God. Christians sin against God, too. But the difference between 
the wicked and the righteous, the difference between the godly and the, un, the ungodly and the godly is that Christians are forgiven. That's the difference. We are forgiven by the grace of God. That God has reached out in his love and grace, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that whosoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The difference between me as a forgiven Christian and, and someone who is ungodly or unrighteous, the only difference is the blood of Jesus and what a difference it makes in my life. And now, because I'm forgiven, that's why I do what I do. That's why I tell people about Jesus. That's why I get up and preach. That's why I read my Bible. That's why I study God's Word. Because I want to know Him better. I want to have a relationship with God. I want to have a righteous relationship with God. And that's why I do what I do. It's not so I can be more saved. I'm saved all the way. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I've been transformed. I've been changed. I've been redeemed. Do I sin? Yes, I do. Do I still sin? Yes, I do. But my sins are forgiven. And when God forgives my sins, He forgets my sin. He washes me clean in the blood of the Lamb. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove my transgressions from me. He removes your transgressions from you. He takes our sin and he throws them as far away from you as he possibly can. And God's got a pretty strong arm. Pretty good fastball from what I understand. God throws our sins as far away from us as possible. And you never seize them again. We are forgiven. And that's the difference. I have answered the invitation, the invitation that Jesus made to believe in him, repent for my sins, confess him as Lord and be baptized. And when you do that, God forgives all your sins and he forgets about them. The unrighteous are unrighteous because they haven't turned to God for forgiveness. They continue to sin and someday they will have to face the consequences of their sin. We'll talk about that in just a minute. The second thing that the wicked do is the wicked mock God. The wicked mock God. You know what? Our world mocks God. Our wicked, our, our wicked world does what Isaiah says shouldn't be done. Isaiah wrote this 2,700 years, before, uh, 2700 years ago, and this is what he wrote in Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The wicked mock God. They do what shouldn't be done. Does this sound like our world today? Does this sound like our world, this Isaiah 520 verse? Does this sound like our world? Do people call things that God calls evil good? Do people call uh, good things that God calls evil? Yeah. That is a form of mocking God. Do you want to know who mocked God? I'll tell you who mocked God. The people who were crucifying Jesus. They mocked God. They put a robe on him. They spit upon him. They, they, they put a crown of thorns on his head. They mocked him. Oh, he's the king of the Jews. They spit upon him. They insulted him. They mocked him. They mocked Jesus as they were crucifying him. They didn't even realize that they were killing the one who could save them for all eternity. They were crucifying the one who was dying for their sins. They were killing the one who... Who could save them? They were mocking the one who was dying for them. All th uh, in three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it talks about how they mocked Jesus. 
They should have been bowing down in worship before him, and yet, no, they mocked him instead. And that's what the wicked do. They make a mockery of God. We see that in our world today. They call evil good, they call good evil, and then they celebrate it. The world celebrates evil, and the world celebrates wickedness. The world celebrates sin. Can't let that happen, folks. We cannot do that. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we can't join in on that. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. We cannot sit in the seat of mockers. Is the church perfect? No. But Jesus is. He died for this. He died for the church. Do not mock it. Do not mock Jesus. Do not mock God. Live a life of righteousness and faithfulness to him. So we've talked about what the godly do. We've talked about what the wicked do. Let's talk about what happens to them. The next area that we want to talk about is the godly are blessed. There's a difference in how God treats the godly and the wicked. And we see that the godly prosper in all they do. The godly prosper in all they do. Look at Psalm 1-3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Notice what it says here. When does prosperity come? It comes in season. Prosperity comes in season. The tree bears fruit in season. Uh, how many of you have ever grown a garden? How many, any gardeners? Okay, I, I've seen your garden, Crystal, on, on Facebook. And uh, she's got big plants growing in her garden. Crystal goes out, first day of spring, says, I'm going to plant my garden. So she puts a bunch of seeds in the ground. The next day, she puts on her gloves. She uh, grabs her bucket. And she's got a little sun visor on. She uh, has her little shears to trim off the, uh, the fruit that, uh, and the, the tomatoes and the plants. And she goes out there, and uh, she looks, and, and there's nothing. There's just dirt. Where are my tomatoes? And it's like, I, I planted them. They should be, uh, I should have tomatoes. It's, it's not the season, right? It's not harvesting season. They haven't, they haven't bore fruit yet because it's not the season. The, the season is yet to come. Same thing goes in our lives. Prosperity comes in season. Blessings come in season. It, it's not necessarily, uh, I became a Christian yesterday. Where's my mansion? I became a Christian yesterday. Where are all my blessings? It's not the season. There are some times in our lives there may be the season of blessing and prosperity. It may happen in this life. Or you may be someone who just struggles the whole way through. Living paycheck to paycheck, struggling every day. But before I talk about the struggle, let's talk about the blessings for just a second. How many of you woke up in a comfortable home this morning? How many of you got to church today either by by the power of your legs or the power of an, a vehicle? Huh. How many of you are dressed? Thank goodness. So we have clothes to wear. We have transportation. We have homes to live in. Anybody go to the cupboard this morning? Any Mother Hubbards here? Went to the cupboard and the cupboard was bare? There's food in the cupboard. 
I mean, uh, uh, unless you just were running late this morning, couldn't grab breakfast. Probably breakfast on the table. You see, we have food to eat. We have clothes to wear. We have cars to drive. We have a, a warm, well, not warm. It's kind of chilly in here, which is nice when you've got all these lights on you. But uh, we have a, a comfortable building to worship in. We have a nation where we are free to worship. You see, we have all these blessings, and, and yet we complain. We complain about, oh, I'm not blessed. <laughs> Go to Haiti, sit with a family who just, whose mom just gave birth on a dirt floor in a two-room tin shack, and, and, and then listen to them praise God for all that they have, and then tell me you're not blessed. Okay? Just do that for me. The church will buy your airline ticket. If, if, if you're really convinced that you are not blessed, we'll send you to Haiti. It requires several shots that don't feel good, by the way. We are blessed. We are prosperous as a nation and as people. We may not think about it. We may, we may look at others with their houses and land and their gold and their silver and think, oh, if I could just be like them. I got news for you, okay? There is coming a day. There is coming a season and it may not be in this life, but there's coming a season when you're going to look at people with their houses and their land and their gold and their silver, and you're going to be like, huh, boy, they got the raw end of the stick. See, Larry Burkett once said, he was the founder of Crown Financial Ministries, he once said that the people on this earth who don't know Jesus and, and, and yet seem to prosper and seem to have all this money and, and wealth and everything like that, that may be the only heaven they ever know. What a cheap counterfeit. What a cheap counterfeit compared to a place where gold is as common as pavement, where gold is what streets are made of, where you walk on gold. The blessings, the prosperity of this life can't hold a candle to the season of prosperity and blessings coming in the next. That we will stand in God's presence, blessed beyond our wildest imaginations, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived of what God has planned for those who love him. I can conceive a lot, folks. I can, I can imagine quite a bit. And God says, you, you, can't even, you can't even fathom what I got planned for you, Sean. Just wait till you get here. Then you will see what it's really all about. Then you will understand the season of prosperity. You understand the real meaning of blessing when you stand in my presence. You see, I think part of the problem is we want the fruits of prosperity now. And we don't want to put the time in that it takes to cultivate a relationship of righteousness with God. And it does take time to cultivate a righteous relationship with Jesus. It takes time. But that's what this whole psalm is all about. It's about cultivating a relationship of righteousness with God by his grace and his word. His word has to permeate us to the core. His, the Holy Spirit has to change us from the inside out, sanctify us, and make us more like Jesus. I, I, I don't, I really, I truly believe that God will not bless, he will not consistently bless a life that does not honor him. God will not consistently bless a life that does not honor him. How can we expect God to bless our lives if we will not honor him with righteous living? I, I, I don't see how we can. I, I don't see how we can expect God to, uh, we can't, bless me, bless me, bless me, but let me live the way I want. Bless me, bless me, bless me, but let me continue in my sin unrepentant. I don't believe that God works that way.
We cannot earn his favor, his blessings. We've already got it. But when we seek to honor him in all that we do and with all that we are, he will bless. I believe that. Not a matter of earning his favor, not a matter of earning blessings, but it's a matter of honoring God with our lives. The second thing is that the godly are watched over by God. That's the second thing he does for the godly. He watches over them. Psalm 1-6, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. God watches over the righteous. The Hebrew word there for watches literally means knows, K-N-O-W-S. It means knows. In other words, the Lord knows the paths of those in a relationship of righteousness with him. The Lord knows their path. He watches over us. He protects us. He guards us until our path leads to our home in heaven. His greatest desire, God's greatest desire is to spend eternity with you. Did you ever think about that? His greatest desire isn't world peace. His greatest desire uh, isn't uh, perfect church attendance. God's greatest desire is that you would spend eternity with him. That's why he sent Jesus to die. That's why Jesus suffered, so that we could spend eternity with God. That's God's greatest desire. Jesus suffered on the cross so that we wouldn't have to suffer for all eternity. God watches over us. Well, what about the wicked? What happens to the wicked? The wicked are doomed. According to Psalm 1, the wicked are doomed. The first blank is that the wicked will fall in judgment. Look at verses 4 and 5. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The wicked will not ultimately prosper. They will fall in judgment. This psalmist, the psalmist writes of their certain destruction when he says that they will fall in judgment. Their doom is assured. They will not stand in the assembly of the righteous. When the righteous all gather together in that final assembly before the Lord, after the day of judgment, the, the wicked will not be there. The wicked will be no more. They are doomed to destruction. After judgment, the wicked will not be in heaven. Instead, the wicked will die. That's what Psalm 1-6 says. That's the, second, the last blank on your outline. The wicked will die. Psalm 1-6, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The path of the wicked leads to death, and not just physical death, but spiritual death, an eternity separated from God in hell. And when Christ returns, no more second chances. When Christ returns, no more opportunities to repent. When Jesus comes back, that's it, folks. That's all, folks. No more opportunities to repent. No more chances. No more second or third chances or fourth or fifth or five thousandth chances. No more opportunities. That is why we must spread the gospel and make disciples. That is why we do it. Because there's coming a day when people will no longer have that chance to repent and turn away from sin. There's coming a day when people will no longer have that chance to have eternal life. There are people that you know, there are people that I know, there are people who, they don't consider themselves wicked, they don't consider themselves, I'm a good person. Good people go to hell because they don't know Jesus. We can't let that happen. As followers of Christ, we have been given a commission to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that He has commanded us. That is our job. 
That is the job we've been entrusted with. And we have to do a good job. We have to do a great job. The world will not change. People will not go to heaven unless they hear about Jesus Christ. People who don't know Jesus don't go to heaven. Let me say that one more time. People who don't know Jesus don't go to heaven. Say it with me. People who don't know Jesus don't go to heaven. That is the truth. And we may not like the way that sounds. We may not like the way it sounds exclusive, sounds politically incorrect. What do you mean? People who don't know Jesus don't go to heaven. That's what the Bible says. If your name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life, who's the Lamb? If your name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life, there's only one destiny, and that is destruction. The wicked are doomed. And like I said, people may say, I'm not a wicked person. I'm not horrible. I'm not terrible. I never killed anybody. If you're a sinner and you are not saved, you will not go to heaven. We have to reach out to the world with Jesus' love and share the good news of the gospel with them so that people will believe in him and repent from their sins, confess him as Lord, and be baptized. I have three challenges for you this morning. Challenge number one is for you, if, if you are not in a righteous relationship with God, if you are not in a loving, righteous relationship with God, you need to get into a loving, righteous relationship with God. Because when Christ returns, you do not want to be counted among the wicked. So turn away from your sin and repentance and be baptized today. You can begin that relationship of righteousness today. My second challenge is to get into the Word of God. So get into a relationship with Jesus or get into the Word of God Read his word, study his word, study with other believers. We've got Bible studies going on all, all the time around here. Join a study or go online and get, find a Bible reading plan. Download the YouVersion app to your phone or to your tablet. Read the Bible on your train, on the train, on the way to work. Spend time getting to know God by reading his word. And my third challenge for you today is to invite someone. Invite someone to come and worship with us so that they can hear the good news of Jesus. Let me tell you a little story. We had a baptism here on Friday night. And uh, it was awesome. It was amazing. I, I love it when somebody comes forward and gets baptized. And, and, and when it's, even if there's just like four or five people, it, it's still the angels rejoice in heaven when someone comes and gives their heart to Jesus. I love that. But let me tell you how this person got here and why she came. It's because her friend invited her. Her friend invited her and kept inviting her. She wouldn't leave her alone. She kept inviting her and inviting her. Why don't you come to church with me? Why don't you come study with me? Why don't you come to church with me? And finally she said, okay, I'll come to church with you. That was probably about four months ago. Friday night she got baptized. She caused a party in heaven. She came forward in the first service. We introduced her. Her name is Becky. And you need to get to know Becky. She's really cool. But she's a Christian. She's your sister in Christ now. Because her friend Yvonne invited her over and over again. So my challenge for you today is to think about your story and how you got here. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're going to heaven because someone invited you. So who can you invite? Who can you invite to worship with us so they can hear the good news of Jesus and they can begin that eternal relationship with God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bring someone to mind that we can invite to come and worship here that we can invite to, to find out more about Jesus and, and his love. I pray for, uh, for, uh, for those of us who struggle with sin. 
God, it's, it is a struggle. And some days we feel like we're, we're three steps forward, two steps back. I pray that you would forgive us. Help us to be devoted to you and to your word. Help us to make disciples so that people will hear about Jesus and give their lives to him. Help us each day decide to follow Jesus. Thank you for this song. Help us to live godly, righteous lives. It's in Christ's name we pray.